Welcome to the Black Moose First Podcast. I'm your host, Alton Jamison. I've made the journey from having an incarcerated father to becoming an engineer to transitioning to a professional speaker and author. And now I am the founder and chief chess player of Black Moose First. Black Moose First is a company that offers chess boards and accessories, apparel and personal development products that empower people like you to change the world one move at a time. In the game of chess, white pieces always move first, which is an advantage, and the black pieces move second, which is a disadvantage. Black moves first is more than an oxymoron in chess. Instead, it calls for people to strive for success, even when the odds are against you. To strive for success, even when you may not have the advantages of others. Our motto is, changing the world one move at a time. This podcast explores the stories of how people have overcome adversity to make their own moves and change their own world, whether in the game of chess or in the game of life. Good morning, everyone. This is Alton Jamison with the Black Moves First podcast. So we have episode seven today with one of my, I can call him a friend and College buddy and just uh, just the overall good brother. I used to call him Larry J or LJ. How you doing today, brother? I can't complain. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. It's uh, it's an it's an honor. Um, and for those who don't know, you know the about Black Moves first, man. We started a, a chess and apparel business last year, but our whole uh, motto and tagline is changing the world one move at a time. So the podcast is really about people who changing their world one move at a time. And I like interviewing people like yourself who are unique, who are different. Um, and there's so much to describe yourself. But how would you describe yourself, uh, Larry? I know that to, to the people out there who don't know you. Well, you know, how do I describe myself? Uh you know, I'm a country boy at heart. Um, <laughs> I'm from the Eastern Shore of Virginia, and uh, I, I am a, a conglomerate of episodes of things that really shouldn't have been, uh, that shouldn't have happened. And and here I am, you know, a, a guy that comes from, you know, working in the fields on the Eastern Shore to heading to Old Dominion University, uh, meeting a whole bunch of people, falling in love with music, um, and then traveling the world as an opera singer. And then really just finding a way to, you know, start giving back that experience I had, you know, as a as a singer and moving into arts administration and just trying to find my way in this world. Um, You know, being that person that's really an oxymoron for everything I do. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, You know, there's so much I definitely want to talk with you about. You know, one of the things that that I like is the fact that, you know, you're a black opera singer. And I don't know the statistics on that, and I'm pretty sure you probably do. But I think the only other time I ever seen brothers sing an opera, and I read it in your bio, is when I saw "Went to See Three More Tenors," yeah. <laughs> and that was that was the only other time. But but uh, Larry, tell us about I guess how did you kind of get into music? Like when did you know that? Hey, man, I I can sing, or you know, I'm a little bit better than just the average person in the choir. <laughs> Well, you know, um, I, I didn't come from a singing family. I, I can claim that my grandfather, uh, Forrest Brewer, who um, 
six foot four, offensive lineman for FAMU. He always sang in church, you know, basso profundo, which is uh, the lowest bass voice that you could have. And that guy kind of used to go up in front of church and just sing, uh, sing a song from time to time on Sundays, but it was nothing I ever wanted to do. My mom tried to make me sing in the choir. Um, and I would do everything in my power not to sing in the choir so far as a cry. I would get in trouble just so I can have to sit with her. But uh, anyway, the story always goes, man. I tell people the same thing. Uh, my senior year in high school, and really was going into my senior year of high school, we were having uh, football two-a-days uh, and an offensive, I'm sorry, defensive end named A.J. Stratton. He was, uh, he made an announcement at the end of practice. He said, look, you know, Mrs. Hollinsworth um, is looking for men to sing in the course. They had had like a turnover because the course was always kind of good and uh, at Nandua High School. He makes the announcement, everybody kind of laughs, but he makes a statement right afterwards where he says, uh, you know, look, all the girls you haven't seen in high school, they're in the course. So lo and behold, you know, we had, the, she, I think she had the biggest turnout for <laughs> auditions that year. And out of that group of football players that popped up, you know, seven of us um, were added to the course. And I was one of them. I had no intention, not a care in the world about uh, singing at all. I really didn't. By the end of that year, I think I had auditioned for the um, all district course where I had placed as an honorable mention. You know, I didn't even get in. And, but, you know, they had a person stand by and I ended up having, getting the opportunity to sing. And at the end of that school year, uh, I sang a solo with piano in front of all my friends. Had no idea what I was doing. I was just standing there just singing. But long story short, man, um, you know, I come from a sports family. I, I wanted to play football in college. I didn't quite have the height. I didn't quite have the speed. Um, so my recruiting trail was was short and uh, I had a few auditions set up to play trumpet uh, at Old Dominion University. My sister was already there, my older sister. Um, she was working with the basketball team there. So I went and did an audition. My dad took me over and um, at that audition, I walk in the door and the director of the uh, chorus program comes up to me. It's a little short uh, redhead lady by the name of Dr. Nancy Klein. She says, hey, are you Larry? I say, well, yes, I am Larry. Um, she said, your teacher told me, Mrs. Hollingsworth said, you need to come and sing for me. So I'm walking in this building with a trumpet case in my hand. I, again, no plans to sing. And they they kind of whooshed me off into this room and they said, hey, um, you know, sing something for us. So I sang that solo, no accompaniment or anything like that. And uh, I walked out of that room with a partial, a small scholarship in voice. Um, John, yeah, the John Stamos scholarship. And uh, I walked into to my dad who was sitting in the car and I said, hey, they just gave me scholarship money to sing a little bit. He said, that's good. <laughs> a great compliment from my, yeah. my dad. But, um, so, you know, I didn't even end up auditioning on trumpet, man. I, I took wow. that small scholarship and in the story, they put me in basic voice lessons and I didn't realize I could sing until my sophomore year in high school. I mean, I'm sorry, in college where um, I started off with a voice teacher, um, Agnes Fuller, who was fantastic. Um, but she, uh, 
I don't want to say she didn't understand me as a, a, a black man, but there was a, a teacher there by the name of Dr. Frank Ward, who was a black man who um, studied at University of Michigan, outstanding uh, pedagogue, you know, for the art form. And he, I had the opportunity to move to his studio and he kind of sat me down and said, look, you can sing, but you have to do a lot of work. And that's kind of when I started taking it serious. I went to a host of competitions uh, for the National Association of Teachers and Singing. And man, I just started started racking up, you know, wins, if, if I can say it that way. Um, like best in male voice, best overall. Um, and I was just singing. So that's when I started taking it seriously. And I auditioned for the Virginia Opera in 1998. I got put in a uh, Porgy and Best show then, and then my first show, um, Orfeo at Udi DJ. Um, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just this guy. You, you know, you were there in college with me. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I remember, man. I remember. Uh, I mean, you know, we go back to what you know was it sophomore year or something like. I mean, it's it's a minute. I mean, we're talking. Yeah. I don't know, ninety eight somewhere in ninety nine. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're just a, a long way back, and. Um, I mean, heck, you know, we started a Bible study in college, and I think we go back, even might be go back before the Bible study. I mean, it's it's been a while. And I remember <clears throat> we were all in the, the gospel choir. Now, let me be clear. <laughs> I'm not saying that as if I'm a singer. So I don't want nobody to get, I'm not but saying that. But you were right in the front, singer. though. Wait, you were right yeah. in the front, though. <laughs> yeah, because I was short. Because I was short. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember... Um, the first time I could hear your voice was, I think we sung Great Is Our God. And y'all would do, you know, I'm not going to embarrass myself. But when you hit that, and I don't, and I don't you know, was baritone bass, I don't want to say it wrong, uh, you know, to disrespect the crowd. But when I heard your voice then, I'm like, all right, this is just not an average dude getting together about to do, you know, a group. You know, it's not like you just getting about to do an R&B group. Like you got a different voice. <laughs> but like different in a way where it's just um, it's just different, like like powerful, like you got a different style of voice like this is like this is good what we're doing and it's fun. But I was like, this is this guy's different. You know what I'm saying? You have always treated from what I have seen from a distance, like, you know, vocal or music as a craft, you know, so it wasn't like, oh, I'm majoring in music. You know, it wasn't more like I'm doing it just so I can teach, you know, a couple of second graders music and I'm not diminishing anybody who does that, but you can definitely tell that uh, it was a craft, man. And that's when I realized that, you know, and as I saw you kind of go, it wasn't like, I can't believe he made it into the opera. It was like, you know, <laughs> duh. You know I mean? It's, you know, the brother had it. <laughs> man, look, I, you know, I appreciate that. You know, it's interesting. I learned so much from Ebony Impact, you know, um, I learned how to sing high in Ebony Impact as an opera singer. Uh, and probably particularly on that song because man, we did a, did a lot of uh, screaming, but you know, it's interesting. I found myself as a vocalist there because I went through singing R and B, you know, I sang with a group. I don't know if you remember guys like Calvin Jasper and uh, Asa Jenneret, all those singers. Um, I was singing in the R and B group. I was trying to do the Teddy Riley thing and all this kind of stuff. But like you said, my voice, I could not put my voice in any shape or form to be those things. So I then started embracing the idea, look, I may just be an opera singer, you know, and um, 
when I realized that it was something that was born because I didn't pursue it, I had to accept the gift that God gave me. So anytime I sing opera, I tell people this. And, you know, some people may point up and, and give glory to God on, on things like that. I do not take credit other than the work that I put in to sustain the voice. This is a God given uh, talent. And like you said, I, I did take it as a craft, um, you know, out of everything I used to do. I had a very hard time in, in uh, academia and college, not because I wasn't smart. It's just that I was so interested in learning how to become the best singer, the best vocalist I could be. Um, so, you know, it's interesting, man, that when I made the decision to, to not do it full time, it was it was tough. And uh, but at the same time, the reason why I did it moving towards had my first uh, kiddo, Larry Giddens, the third um, Trey, and I was gone, man, the first year of his life, eight months on and off in Europe. And, you know, I things happen like they should when Patrick um, Mason made that offer about coming to University of Colorado. I, I sat down and took some time. I was in Europe, um, you know, just making that decision. And I had an opportunity to really take my opera career to a level that would put me in a place, you know, financially uh, on a national, international stage. And I said, you know what? my values say that I have to be around this kiddo and I'm, I'm, I'm better for it. He's better for it. my family. You know, I, I can't, I, 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 I couldn't have done it uh, any other way. And I'm so glad I made that choice. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, I think that speaks to integrity, man. I remember my last year speaking full times and I spoke about 110 times. I never forget. And so if you add in all the travel, I was gone about 200 plus days. And so in my business, I felt like, you know, I'm like this stuff, you know, Steph Curry breakout year. You know what I'm saying? Like, I felt yeah. like this is, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hitting from all cylinders, but my, my home life is suffering. And, you know, my daughter, all my daughter was three uh, at the time. She's going on four or so. And I think my son was just born kind of in that time frame. And all my daughter remember was that daddy goes to the airport. Daddy goes to the airport. Daddy goes, can I go with you, daddy, to the airport? Can I go to the airport? And, you know, you kind of look at, uh, well, man, if I, if I push it a little bit more, you know, I can, I can get right here, you know, the, that, that place, um, that elusive place. Uh, then, you know, as I said on my other podcast, I was talking to another brother. Uh, I know John Maxwell says, you know, what if you spend your whole life building the, the climbing the ladder of success? And when you get to the top, you realize it's leaning against the wrong building. And I and I feel you where you're coming from. It's because. You know, you got to trying to find that balance between, you know, your gift and your responsibility is not always easy. And, you know, and I definitely commend you with that. One of the things I wanted to ask you, Larry, was um, before I talk about like the travels and some of those experiences, what what do you have to do? Because, I mean, I even noticed that you even talk a little different. Like, like you, you know, you you can tell it in your voice. But one, what is your, I guess, voice range? I don't know if they'd be called baritone or whatever. They, and then secondly, what 
what is required in terms of maintaining, because your voice is your job. Um, and so what, what do you have to do um, to even maintain that? Well, you know, the first thing is commitment. Um, you know, to do anything at a high level, you know, to speak uh, 200 days or, you know, 110 times speaking, you know, it, it takes a commitment and a discipline that um, you don't necessarily have to be born with, but you have to to observe that it's necessary to move you forward in what you're trying to do. So I'm I'm a baritone now, and I'll, I'll say this as a side note, the, the African-American voice, the black voice is unique in a way that it can do everything vocally. You know, I've sang roles, I've sang performances as a bass, as a baritone and as a tenor. Um, but, you know, now I try to stay as true as I can to what it is I, I am as a person. So my speaking voice, you know, we do all this training and it really comes back to what comes out of your mouth naturally. You know, so I'm a baritone now. Um, and yeah, so each each day I sing, I don't care if it's in the shower. I don't care if I get on this piano right behind me and sing. I sing something every single day. And it's funny because in other parts of my life, I, I say to myself, I, I'm not committed to anything. You know, I, I can't finish a project. I can't do this, can't do that. But every single day I'm breathing, I'm singing, I'm speaking in the right place. I'm always locked in the sing, you know? So it, it takes it takes a lot, but here's the thing. You know, a lot of people, and I we'll probably get to this later, a lot of people don't even know that they have the ability or or the gift to be successful in the arts. And you know, I told that story at the beginning that, you know, it took took one person saying, Hey, just you know, try this. And um, if you have the work ethic, I think there are a lot more people out there that that can really commit to, to doing this at a high level. Yeah, I think the same thing when I was in my senior year in high school, I had my physics teacher tell me that I said I was too stupid to be an engineer. And he was the one person that told me to say, no, you're smart enough to be an engineer. And that was enough. And I remember that all the way on those nights when I was, you know, Friday night, 12 o'clock studying and everybody else was, you know, at, at the web jam, as you <laughs> used to call it. Um, but I remember those words that I was good enough. And I think you make a valid point. Why do you think that, um, especially minorities, why do you think that many people shy away from the arts or don't even recognize that they're successful? I know I've even seen where... On the minority side, you know, I remember I wanted to do, uh, even in sixth grade, I wanted to to play the saxophone or something. But I think, you know, my mom just couldn't do the whatever, the monthly fee or something. But I realized even on, on that side, sometimes, I don't know if it's lack of resources or lack of awareness or me as an athlete and playing sports, I think a lot of times we don't even push that. You know, it's just, you know, we push kids so hard in sports. You know, my kids, obviously, Yours as well. You don't play a bunch of sports, but we, you know, at the same time, we we neglect other things that they can do. But why do you think that? Well, it's it's what I I, my thesis on was on for uh, grad school and everything. It's really career paths. It's it's what we've been taught um, as 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 people uh, and a culture. 
Um, it's either you're performing on stages for millions or you're singing locally as a hobby. And, and, and that chasm, it's, it's huge, you know, the space between being a professional performer and just singing in your, your church or right. at, at, in talent shows because <clears throat> the arts allow you this. And I believe truly, this is what my research is on, that it gives you so many more avenues than any other degree because you can be a performer, you can be an educator, uh, you can be an administrator. Um, you can be a therapist. You know, these are all career paths that start with you pursuing a career in music, right? So I started off as an opera singer. I'm in arts administration. I'm in nonprofit management, you know, and and that's a career path. And as parents, um, and this is, I, you know, I'll say culturally and also um as a whole, as a people, we we see uh, the arts as as a hobby as opposed to a career. Right. And this is a multi billion dollar industry, you know. So why why not uh, tell a, a child who's interested in the arts or saxophone, you know, move them in that direction because you know people are hiring these arts. Uh, the liberal art based degrees, they're hiring people because they have the ability to perform, to do podcasts like this, to uh, go out and speak in front of uh, uh, masses of people, customer service. It's, these are just innate skills that come from, you know, the arts. So I, I believe it's career viability that hurts us. And that makes sense. Now, as you transition out of nonprofit management, will you continue to perform at all or you're, you're, you're moving away from performing. So I, I always um, perform. I take, you know, right now I have a, a church job uh, at First Presbyterian um, where where I sing um, with a choir solo, um, you know, anything from, you know, classical music um, to gospel music, spirituals and things like that. So that keeps me, me singing. If the calendar allows, I take professional uh, performances, uh, gigs, you know, maybe a month here, month there, a week here, a week there. Because at this point, once you get to, you've learned so much repertoire in, in, in 20 years, you know, so there are certain things that you can kind of recycle around the holidays. Um, you know, COVID really hurt the holiday. I call it my holiday pay. You know, I do four or five performances of the Handel's Messiah. You know, you can make a few thousand dollars, you know, and then that's just yours for that small amount of time. Doesn't take away from the household or anything like that. It's just, you know, how it, it keeps you uh, moving. Um, so, no, I, I always take gigs. You know, I'm, I'm at the point where the good thing about singing as, as a classical singer, the older you get, the better the voice gets. Now, there's a, a upslope and then eventually, at, you know, late 60s, early 70s, you, you know, you're not singing well, but. You know, I'm 43 now. You know, once my youngest hits middle school, I can consider performing a lot more. You know, as my my son, I probably have two that roll off before I hit 50. I can sing from 50 to 60 and make a, a substantial living from that. So, Larry, how does it work? I mean, let's go behind the curtains. Like when you're when you're performing and doing these gigs, my first question is like, do you have an agent or you're calling people to audition or to somebody reaching out? And then 
not to get into to your personal finances, but let's say you're gone six, seven months. So is the company, are they paying you daily? Is it per diem? Are you, do you get to travel or is it like, you know, a set amount? How, how does all that work? Because this is intriguing. Yeah, no. So there's so many ways to, to do it, you know. So there are uh, people that are still in the industry. So um, a person that's performing at the Met has an agent. Uh, so actually, I'm going to take a, another step back. If you approach the performing arts like sports, just add it in every facet, you'll understand the arts the same way. So as a professional athlete, you need an agent in order to to get on a team or negotiate your contract. The same thing happens in in, in the arts uh, as well. So um, as far as you know, performances go, it's all contract based. Uh, for the most part, um, you know, a certain role is set for a certain amount of money at different level houses. You have A houses, B houses, C houses, D houses, um, the type of music that you're performing, musical theater. And we're talking about vocal arts here, you know, at opera houses. Um, and then, you know, the thing that took me all over the world was a tour, um, a few tours um, where you were paid weekly. You were given that stipend. Um, and and you were given housing just to tour all over the, the world, singing in one show, um, you know, every day. And that's, again, you look at that from a sports standpoint, you're just traveling from city to city to play games, you know, and, and that's how I took it. And so, you know, as I moved up in the, the ranks of this um, organization that had us touring, New York Harlem Productions um, was the name of the organization, you know, I, I started off with a smaller role. My responsibility was minimal. So I was like that guy that was the 10th man on the getting paid to be there. So I was really not um, engaged in the, the show itself. But as I moved up and became a starter, that that traveling became a job, like a real job, you know. So, um, you know, it's, it's this contract based uh, work. You have agents. Um, they're called agents. I do consulting for uh, artists at this point that uh, I, I thought about moving into being an agent. But, you know, I, I have a different path with younger performers. So, you know, I think I'll stay away from that for now. That, that, that's that's awesome. Now, assume, you know, as far as your benefits and all that stuff, you'd have to do that independently. Correct. Yeah. So that's it's it's a couple of, you know, a 1099 worker. Everything is contract based. But, you know, luckily, my wife has always been in a position to be in a career. Um, so I always use her benefits. Um, but there are different uh, organizations that provide insurance as well for the arts. Um, so you can get insurance through different things, too. But. That's awesome. Now, what 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 is some of your uh, I know you got a lot of reviews. What are some of your most memorable uh, experiences while being a professional uh, opera singer? Um, memorable experiences. Well, um, geez. So I was. Blessed to be able to perform under the baton of uh, Maestro Julius Rudell, who conducted at the Metropolitan Opera. Well, all over the world, La Scala, you know. And, um, you know, it was pretty young in my uh, career. I was at Opera Theater uh, Pittsburgh singing in the show Lost in the Stars. 
where I was trying to figure out if I was a baritone or a tenor. And he was this small, small man. He calls me to the 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 podium uh, and he says, he says, hey, you're singing this really well. He said, a couple more notes. You can sing held in tenor. A couple more notes. And, you know, that was one of my, you know, this guy, he, he passed away soon after that. But, geez, just to hear that from uh, an icon, you know, like that, it, it really, um, it really set my path. And that's the thing, man. I've had so many experiences uh, in the performing arts. I have bumped into some singers that, you know, really just, just blow your mind, man, and receive so much advice. And, you know, it's times where I feel like maybe I've, I've let a lot of people down, but, you know, they kind of know, you know, where I've, you know, the choices that I've made and where I, I could be and all these things. And they, you know, they love me all the same, but, uh, you know, there's not that other than that one thing is so many things, uh, wow. so much information, so much family feeling in these performances. How what's the if if you don't know the numbers, that's fine. But minorities in this around that you're in is, is a small amount or well, is it more I, than we think? Well, it's it's more than you think. But, you know, in, in anything, the higher you go up, the 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 pyramid, you know, it gets smaller. So a lot of the um, higher level performers in, in opera, you know, everybody knows everyone. You bumped into them at some point. Uh, so, you know, in, in colleges, I would say I can't give you percentages. And, and at some point I will do this research and I know it's out there. There's music in all the HBCUs, you know, all the departments are, are split up as far as being diverse in general. So, there is diversity in the arts, but the way the arts are being received and how they're being placed on the stage, that's where a lot of the work and change needs to happen. It's just like anything else, you know, blind casting is is on the rise, but it's, it's, it's tough to see this guy hugging up on the opposite race. That was a bigger thing back when I first started, but now it's getting a lot better. That makes sense. What, now what, what is kind of your ultimate goal now? I know you've, and I want to talk about your family in a second, but I know you've chosen that direction to to be more present and to you know, maybe do different roles. Like, you know, five, 10 years from now, what, where do you see yourself more in administration or maybe traveling some again? I mean, my ultimate goal is to establish some type of legacy uh, for my family um, in general. I'll kind of segue to what I've been doing in the arts here lately. I'm, I'm trying to develop a, a program where I can look at recruiting in the arts. Uh, more so like they do uh, in, in sports, uh, using best sports business practices, just like uh, uh, scout.com or rivals.com. I think that if we start highlighting artists um, like we do our athletes, we'll start seeing a, a, a bigger influx of uh, minorities, um, of the arts in general. Um, so that's kind of where I'm, I'm looking at moving into business as a legacy. But I think the end result is I just want to continue to be involved in the arts for the rest of my life. You know, at some point, I think I'll end up singing something again. I would love to start doing original works uh, with people, you know, because I just I'm more excited about hearing new stuff. Uh, you know, I get tired of having to go in an audition with an aria that's been performed uh, for the last 150 years, you know, so right, right, right. that's 
Yeah, that's that makes kind sense. of the direction, I think. Yeah. You know, the, the thing that, you know, being here, I'm in Louisiana, so close to New Orleans, of course. And outside of, you know, New Orleans definitely embraces the arts um, more than I have seen in a lot of other places. Now, you know, I've been a lot of places and it seems like it's more, uh, I mean, you know, you can go down to French Quarter on any given Saturday and it's kids who's, who's tape bottle caps to their shoes just so they can tap dance. I mean, they're, I mean, you know, they're playing trombone. I mean, just any, I mean, and I, and I love it. And I absolutely love it. But yeah. I think overall, especially in the African-American community, we do a poor job of pushing stuff outside of sports. And this is, you know, I'm a sports dad, you a sports dad, we both athletes and I'm all about, all about that. But at the same time, as my son, you know, plays sports, you know, he wants to be a civil engineer. And I think we just do a bad job in our community as to say, for the lack of a better term, sports is the only way out. Mm -hmm. And and I I think you're hitting some key points today on that. And we do. We do. um, Because, you know, we evaluate our children from the time they're born, you know, and and I feel like that's one of my another kind of a gift to evaluate and see the potential in, in people in general. And that's just not my kids, but, you know, I, I think that a couple of my kids could definitely be singers. I know one, my my middle girl could definitely be a performer at a high level. My son could, has a fantastic voice. Um, and, and I kind of allow them to make, and you probably do the same thing. I allow them, I, I give them a taste of everything and I see what they they gravitate to. And then you right. feed that as a resource and you find out from time to time, what is it that you really want to do? And we support it in any kind of way. But like you said, um, it's in general, man, the people don't realize that there are scholarships. I did not pay for my graduate degree. I had a full scholarship. You know, people don't realize that there are scholarships in the arts, just like those full rides for um, you know, playing football, basketball, baseball. It's actually the, the in baseball, they're better scholarships in music than it is for baseball, you know, because it's so limited. So it's just getting that information out to the communities and just letting them know that the funding is there. They just need the applicants and the people who are interested right. in, to show that ability. And it's there, man. I mean, you can get your college paid for. Let's be serious. I think even even in the game of chess, uh, it's one uh, uh, black girl in general, I think a Rochelle, I forgot her last name, uh, but she got a full scholarship to Texas just by playing chess, by winning some competitions. And I think that's what people miss is that, you know, if I don't get that D1, you know, whatever, Alabama, you know, Duke University scholarship, life is over. And I think that's what people got to understand, you know, whether they're STEM careers, STEAM, because now they include the arts, you know, science, technology, engineering, arts, it's stuff everywhere. Man, look, I, I have to tell you this story. I have to tell you a story. So um, I was doing <clears throat> outreach for Virginia Opera. Um, and what we do, we go in the classroom and we do master classes. We work with courses and stuff like that. So I was, was it see Norcom? Because I see Norcom with Churchland, right? Okay. I was there in my 20s when I first started doing this outreach thing. And I'm there. I had sang for the kids. And now it was my turn to listen to them. 
So I'm in this room and I we're doing warm ups and I keep on hearing this sound. Stop. Oh, I'm like, geez, man, what is that sound? And I kind of look to the back and it's this this sick had to be six three, two ninety. Guy with a cast on his leg, right? And I said, hey, man, I said, hey, come on down here and stand beside me. So I'm standing and this guy's beside me. I said, hey, sing this note for me. You know, I go, oh, he goes, whoa. I'm like, okay. All right. I said, all right. <clears throat> That's cool. Sing this note. I go, oh, he goes, whoa. I'm like, mm. I stopped dead in my tracks. I could care less about everybody else at this point. I look at him. I said, hey, man, do you know that you can get a full ride singing anywhere in this country? I said, what are you doing after you graduate? Well, I'm, I'm waiting to see if my uh, if my leg, you know, gets better so I can get this, you know, scholarship for football. And I was like, man, and that moment, that moment, I don't know where that kid went. I don't know what he did, but I can tell you for a fact, if that young man had made the choice right there and I wasn't in the mindset to really push it, Right, the right. Choice right there. He could have been Juilliard. He'll you'll be seeing him on television right now singing out. No problem. See, yeah, so that's here, why I do it. Yeah, I, and I commend you for that because I think one thing that I'm learning now um, is that I think our, especially African Americans, we get so locked into one thing, and. We, we don't realize that it's really a golden corral of options for kids. And and whether it's an ego thing or whether it's, you know, I want my son to play for, I want my whatever. But at the end of the day, what's the end goal? The end goal is, one, you want to try to get them free college. <laughs> that's that's part of the part of the goal. I mean, I think yeah. part of the goal. And and secondly, you also want them to know that they can thrive beyond what's on an athletic field, you know, or, or on a court. And I'm trust me, I'm all about sports. My kids play sports. But Dang. I think, you know, as an engineer, my wife, you know, a, a math teacher. And the same way, the same way my son plays uh, football, basketball, I take him to, <clears throat> excuse me, I take him to piano and drum class. You know, because, yeah, he does that stuff. And like you said, you got to see them thrive. Larry, tell us about your family. I know you alluded to. Tell us about, you know, how long you've been married, what your kids are into, their ages. Tell us about the the other side, the other half. Yeah. So, you know, I'll I'll tell you quickly about my um, my wife, um, Jennifer, Jennifer Warren. I met her at Virginia Opera. Um, She has a a bachelor's from Virginia Tech in uh, musical theater. And then uh, an MBA from University of Colorado, Denver. Um, and she's in nonprofit management. She's been working for an organization for the last five years in Minnesota, virtually. Never been there. Oh, wow. And, and yeah. And it's, it's been a blessing because she's able to be around the home and still make, you know, the, the type of money we need in the household. So that's been a blessing. Um, I have four children. Uh, the The oldest uh, he's 14. Uh, he's Larry Jenkins III. We call him Trey. Um, I didn't know what this kid was going to end up being, but right now at 14, he turns 14 in February. He's six foot, 235 pounds. He's a, yeah, he's a multi-sport athlete. So he's a big time baseball, football guy. Okay. You know, we broke into Virginia Beach, man. And this, you know, seven, five, seven sports. They don't, they don't really play. Um, so he's kind of, he's finally made his way in this area. 
and he's starting to become sought after. Um, so he's he's doing really well uh, academically as a, a 4.0. I can't ask for anything else from him, you know. So you, when these kids are doing the things they're supposed to do, it's not much that they they can't get. Um, so we try to do everything we can to support them in whatever they want to do, as long as they're doing the things that they have to do. You got to, you know, clean up when you're supposed to, you know, get out of the way when you're supposed to. And, you know, we support that. And then I have um, my oldest daughter who was born in Colorado. She's the only person that was born in Colorado. Um, and and her name is Ellery Isla Grace Giddens, who is a force <laughs> of nature. And uh, she um, she's a big time. Uh, she, well, she's huge in academics. I want to say that first. She's in the IB program here at Plaza uh, Middle School, where uh, she was determined to be a part of this program. OK. Um, and she's an artist and she's really uh, she she's so competitive in, 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 in education, but she just happens to be. Five seven, almost five eight now. Basketball player, and she's recognized as probably one of the best sixth grade basketball players in the country. And I don't say that lightly. Oh wow, um, she's playing. Yeah, she's playing for a great organization right now, YKS Young Known Strangers, uh, in Virginia Beach. And w- she's playing with a great team. They won multiple national championships, and wow. they're moving into uh, this season where it's going to. Middle school basketball means a lot more, but she's a dynamic uh, athlete, competitor. Uh, she can't wait to get to middle school sports where she can start doing uh, volleyball and softball. You know, these kids oh, yeah. missed a lot of a lot of sports. Trey, in general, uh, has as well. Then I have a nine-year-old daughter. Her name is Lyra, and Lyra is my artist, you know, that happens to be able to play basketball. <laughs> but she, man, look. I can tell you wholeheartedly that I have never gotten emotional singing anything in my life or hearing anything sung in my life. But when this young lady at nine years old and I and mark my words, she won't sing for anybody now. But when she decides to sing for people, you will know it because the wow. voice is undeniably beautiful. Wow. Um, so she's she's the artist of the family. Uh, like I said, she plays basketball just because, you know, she has an older sister that's doing it. And and I think she'll have a success in that as well. And then my youngest, uh, you know what the youngest is like, uh, uh, Erlen, Erlen Virginia Gray, is uh, she's different. You know, <laughs> she's different. And I, I say that because she was just being tested for um, for the gifted Virginia Beach gifted program. Okay. And uh, she was in the middle of this test and, and we're in the other room. We're just kind of listening because everything's virtual. She said, she said, this is boring. You know, it's too slow. It's boring, you know, and she was blowing through this test. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, how do you allow a child to just be like expressive, you know, themselves in a way that they're uninhibited by what we push on them? And I, this is kind of what I've done with this youngest one, because, you know, you get a couple chances with the two girls, you know, and, and here's this third one here. And you're like, you know what, I'm going to let you make choices that work in your life. And she's she's super intelligent. She's super aggressive. And I love everything about her. You know, I'm a big fan of the youngest uh, <laughs> and uh, she, she loves softball. Um, she hates basketball. 
Uh, she loves singing because, you know, she very well end up may end up singing because she loves to sing. And that's a huge part of it, too. Man, I you know, I think you said a lot of key points. And what I like is because of your background, you're able to look at your kids, not just from, you know, a sports perspective, but an arts perspective. You know, kind of the same way as my background, you know, thank God that my kids are able to play sports. You know, that's a blessing. But I can look at my son and the way he handles STEM class and Legos and other stuff saying this guy really could be an excellent civil engineer, which he can be. I mean, that's yeah. you can tell his passion. He's been wanting to be that. He was, he was the only one in kindergarten that said, I want to be a civil engineer. Everybody else is like, you know, firefighter, police officer, you know, the normal <laughs> normal stuff. And I think that's the beauty of what you're saying is that when we, especially as African-Americans, when we succeed in stuff that's outside of the normal stuff, you know, hitting the ball. And again, I'm not diminishing that by any stretch of imagination. Yeah. You can't. But when we succeed in those realms outside of that, it helps you to be able to look at your kids or like you saw that athlete, like, you know, you've seen a lot of athletes who, it's like, hey, man, yeah, you, if this doesn't work out, you can do this and and be look more. Look, just as successful and less pain and concussions right that's, down that's the road. It. And so and I think that's the uh, uh, that's the thing that I, I really appreciate you saying. What are some of the advice, Larry, that you give to some of the young and upcoming singers or vocalists out there that you encounter? What are some of the struggles that you see they have? Yeah, so um, you know, from a from a vocalist standpoint, all the students that reach out to me, they're always wondering at a young age what what they are, what's their voice part, where should they be, uh, where should they be singing, what should they be singing, and I tell them all the same thing. I said your voice is going to change, and I, I thought it was a, you know, when teachers were telling me that when I was young, you know, I was like, eh. but it's the truth. You don't have you don't have that true voice. And until you get into those 30s. But what I tell them is be as functional as you can be at the age that you are without changing and trying to be older. And that's a little bit of a mouthful. But when I came back to Old Dominion uh, recently, because I just finished up the master's about a year, no, a few months, six months ago in December. Um, when I was in the class with these students in the course, I looked at each person in that base section. I said, listen, I'm going to give you some advice early. Do not try to sound like me. Because when you all get older, you're going to sound way better than me if you don't try to sound like me now. Um, and that's just kind of my advice, man. Take take what you have now. Maximize that. Learn the technique. And, and once you learn the technique, throw it all out the window. Because just like any sport, Michael Jordan is not thinking about how he's taking that jump shot. Right. Uh, he, he's just not, it's just a part of him, but he learned how to take a jump shot at three, four, five, six, seven, you know, and it's the same thing. That's how, that's how, you know, what I tell students. And, and if you have a passion for anything, know that all those things that you are passionate about can work together. If you take the time to figure out how they work together. And that's, that's a huge thing. I don't want people that sing or vocalists to kind of get, locked into the idea that I have to be an opera singer. I have to be a musical theater singer. I have to sing on a big stage and be an R&B jazz singer. Be a singer, right? 
And then you open up a world of different things. I didn't know I could sing musical theater, had no idea. Some of my best experiences have been getting into shows, singing musical theater. Wow. So you can't limit yourself. Don't put yourself now, in a box. Now you coach students as well. Is there a way that if people were interested in reaching out to you, is there like a, a website or email? What would you recommend? Uh, how can people get in touch with you if they want to, you know, yeah, well, so Absolutely. So I'm in the process right now of not developing a website. We're actually at the part, uh, point of building a website called archrecruit.com. Um, right now, my email address is archrecruitllc at gmail. And <clears throat> that's temporary, archrecruitllc at gmail, um, where if a parent has any interest, uh, I'll say this, if a, if a kid, a child of yours is showing any type of um, what is the word I'm looking for? Any type of promise or potential in the arts, especially vocal arts. Um, send an email there to Larry Giddens and say, hey, uh, what should I do? Because that's where it starts. If a parent has an art, uh, an interest, what can I do with my child? I can point you in a direction. It's not always going to come through me. But the idea is to place a child on a path in the arts and I'll give them all the information we've been talking about here. And, and once they get on that path, the website is going to allow me to follow students as they build their profiles. I'll be sense. able to move them to different universities. I want universities to come and start looking at artists because what we do in the performing arts is that we go out, we spend tons and tons of money uh, to travel, to do auditions at different places and in sports, we know it's the exact opposite. You know, mm -hmm. people are inviting you, they're paying you to come and walk on their campus. You know, we provide a, a very important service for this country, for the world. You know, right. sports didn't get us through the pandemic. You listening to your radio, <laughs> right? But people were still making music. You were watching entertainment on the television. Hamilton popped out and everybody in the world. Yeah, people performing on Instagram, all of that. That's it. That's it. So, you know, there's value there. So we have to start treating it like it's valuable, not in the entertainment part of it, just in general, that it's important to be to create artists and have artists in this world. So use that information, reach out to me um, and I would be happy, more than happy to point you in the right direction. Once this website is up, we're going to be doing a lot of marketing. Uh, and trying to get this out there as soon as possible so that students can um, start getting in contact and knowing that scholarships are available in the performing arts. That's awesome, man. Now, is there, man, I kind of ask you a little trick question, not a trick question, okay. but uh, are there any R&B singers that you know that you would say, hey, they either you like their voice or they could be good if they were in opera or other stuff? Anybody that that, that we know that would, that stand out to you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a ton of them. I mean, look, <laughs> that's what, when you're in this business, you know, you start listening to people and, and every opera singer will agree that Stevie Wonder could have been the best um, Rossini tenor ever born because his voice naturally sits so high, you know? Is it, um, and that's a high tenor, Rossini, Rossini the, tenor? Rossini is the high tenor. There's a guy named uh, Lawrence Brownlee who's uh, African-American, who's okay. tearing up the world, man. Look them up. You'll hear this okay. high, high Leggero 
uh, tenor voice that just will blow your mind. A bunch of runs is no different, you know, than than R and B. I mean, of course, it's different, but um, Brian McKnight, yeah. another singer. Uh, uh, what's his name? Wanye. But those guys went to performance. From yeah, from Boys to Men. Yeah, all of those guys actually. Those uh, yeah. um, all of those guys are tough. Even there, even the uh, the bass guy when he was with them for a yeah. while. All of them are tough. Yeah. Bases are coveted in this in this industry. So there are a lot of here's a cool thing that's happening. There's a trend that's kind of going on. I, I guess it's not a trend at this point. Football players are falling into the opera world. I can tell you yeah. Morris Robinson. Yeah, Morris Robinson um, played for Citadel, is one of the world's leading base bases right now. Uh, Keith Miller, bass baritone, Metropolitan Opera, played for the Raiders. Um, the kicker for um, the Ravens, I can't call his name right now. He is an opera singer. He just <laughs> plays um, football. But, you know, the same work that goes into being an athlete is the same work that goes into being an artist. You have to be that disciplined if you want to do it at a high level. And that's what they're used to. And they come in and they give the same effort and they get these results. That's awesome, man. Uh, my last question for you is, Sure. Do you play? Do you play chess at all? <laughs> I I do. So you know, my wife. Before I did this interview, um, uh, my wife said, "Do you play chess?" I said, of course, <laughs> I play chess. You know, so my dad taught me how to play chess. I want to say at like eight years old. Yeah, probably around eight. He told me he he taught me what all the pieces uh, would do. You know, could do. And um, so as we got older, we would play games and the biggest thing that I heard from my dad growing up playing chess was, are you sure you want to do that? (laughs) Right now as an adult, I realized that that was a part of his tactic because I probably should have done that. that. Yeah. 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 But no, I, um, I taught, I taught my son how to play. Um, but I honestly haven't picked up a board in a very long time, you know, but it's, it's kind of one of those things of course, I think I saw something about the Queen's Gambit. Yeah. Uh, we uh, we watched that show. And of course, my wife and I were looking at it for two completely different reasons. But I was just blown away um, by just the amount of research that goes into actually being able to play this game at a high level. And I realized it's, it's an art form. You know, you you are an artist. Yeah, it's <laughs> man, I. You know, again, I'm kind of, again, I got a chess business and I enjoy the game. I'm getting coached to get better, of course. And I play pretty much every day, but having been coached by, you know, I've had a couple of master level coaches, you know, just a couple of lessons and and they're good. But I tell you what, being coached by a grandmaster in chess, um, you know, my coach, like I said, she was on a, she's on a Hungarian national team, wants gold medals. Like the way that, and the example that I give, like we do puzzles online and figure out where the pieces need to move. And she'll do like almost 50 in five minutes and I can do like 16 on my best day. Wow. And that shows you, I mean, it'll a puzzle will come up and she's like, oh yeah, this is a tough one. I haven't even looked at it yet. I mean, that's how quick. And and when, when I interviewed her, she just talked about it. She's like, I was taught to play when I was four. My grandfather plays, my dad plays. Uh, I've read, I've done thousands of puzzles. I've read so many books. And I'm like, what are your hobbies? Well, my hobbies is reading chess books. 
So, I mean, to me, and I, like I was telling someone else, it's like, I, I really appreciate, um, and it's almost frustrating where unless you're in a select group, you know, chess, high level chess players really can't always make the income as high level, you know, people in other realms. Cause it's real tricky. You know, you gotta, you gotta be a marketing, you gotta win X amount of tournaments, but you know, you have these, uh, but when I really understand uh, how they think, I mean, it's just, it's mesmerizing, man. And I, and I, you know, I, I really got a new appreciation for uh, this game and people who play at that high level. It's, it's incredible, man. So. Let me ask you a question because I just had a, a an idea. Well, I'm, I'm going to teach my six-year-old how to play chess because I never put these things together, but her, I think her mind works like that. Where can I go for a kiddo to get them to get them lessons in chess? But I would say in the beginning, go to chesskids.com and maybe yep. price it out with, um, you know, some virtual coaches there. And sometimes for me, I mean, it's, it's taken me about two or three coaches to get to the coach that that really fits my learning style. Like I had a grandmaster before. Uh, you know, and I'm not going to say his name, but his style was way more aggressive. Like, you need to know this. You got to do this versus the coach I got now. She's like her teaching style just fits my personality. Yeah, so, like uh, yeah. So sometimes, man. And the good thing is, is that when you can go to chesskids.com, you know, chess.com as well uh, has boatload of coaches. And the good thing, you can find people, whatever, overseas that may sometimes give you a better rate than the guy who lives across the street. And like I said, my coach is in Hungary and her rate was lower than some people who were a lower level than her in chess. Brother, thank you so much for your time. And please, one last time, Larry, give them that email address again so they'll they'll hear it. Yeah, it's artsrecruitllc at Gmail. If you have any questions about consulting in the performing arts, <clears throat> getting your kiddos into universities, uh, high school teachers, anything like that, just reach out to me anywhere. God bless you, brother, man. And we got to yeah. stay in touch. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you again for your time today. And remember to subscribe to our podcast, rate our show and share with others. You can also view us on the web at www.blackmovesfirst.com. My final charge to you is what move will you make today to change your world? Stay positive, and I'm your host, Alton Jameson.